also find Acts chapter number 7 this morning. We will go there in the New Testament a little bit later in the message. We're going to begin in the book of Job chapter number 1 uh, this morning. I want to ma- mention now, in case I forget later, uh, you can give, we want to be a blessing to uh, David and Rose uh, for his graduation. Uh, if you can, uh, you can designate a love offering to him, you can do that on the envelope, your giving envelope or one that's in the chair if you write a check, you can designate it to Hope House graduation, or if you're writing it to, to David Cox. Um, but you, if you give online, there is a fund called Hope, ha- Hope House Graduation. And uh, you can give to that, and uh, we'll, get that, we'll get that love offering uh, to David. And please just do that as, uh, sometimes those gifts come in a couple of weeks at a time. If you can do that as quick as possible, uh, we'll get it to them quicker. Okay? Job chapter number 1. We're going we're to just read the first five verses here uh, this morning, and then get, in, get into the Word. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there was born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Notice what it says at the end of the verse. Thus did Job continually. I want you to remember that last phrase uh, later in the message. Thus did Job continually. I don't want to give away some things, so I'm going to hold off giving you the title of the message. I'll do that in the sermon. But let's go to the Lord in prayer right here. Father. Lord, we are thankful for the Word of God. Lord, I've prayed and prayed and prayed throughout this week in preparation for this message. And really, it's a couple of weeks in the works, Father, just been meditating, ruminating over what what I have read and just some things that you pointed out to me. And then you took other scriptures that I was in my daily reading and put those things together. And uh, Lord, I, I know this morning that I have a word from you, I have a message that will help everybody here today. And so I pray that you get our attention. Lord, that you help us to stay focused on your word. There's no one in this room today that this message will not impact. And so I pray that no one will check out, no one will, will be distracted, that have their attention diverted, but that we're all focused on what you have for us this morning. And I pray this morning that you will bless and help. We're dependent and needful of the power of the Holy Spirit as I preach and as we listen. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. July 29th, 1992 is a day that changed my life. It's a day that I'll never forget. I say July 29th. I keep having in my mind July 29, 1982. That's why I keep wanting to say that's the day I got saved. This was actually July 22nd, 1992. It was the day after my 18th birthday. July 22nd, 1992. I'd gone to bed uh, pretty late at night, and the phone rang. And uh, I went into the living room and answered it because we didn't have cell phones in those days. And uh, went in there and answered the phone. And it was a uh, young lady that I went to school with. Uh, I could tell that she was very upset, very emotional. And uh, she gave me word that one of our very closest friends, someone that I grew up with, a young man by the name of Dale Godwin, 
had uh, died in a car accident that night. Uh, someone actually ran him off the road, and uh, his vehicle um, had, had turned over a number of times and ejected him, and he lost his life. You've, you've heard me tell that. Uh, some of you have heard me speak of that. Um, it had a great impact on me. Uh, because, i I just be honest, I was not living right. I was not even thinking about living for the Lord. I was not in a right place. I'd actually thrown away many great opportunities in life because of the way that I was living. And that the Lord used that to begin, and it didn't happen immediately, but it began the process of me wanting to change some things and to really find what God had me here for. Because I couldn't understand why God let me live in an accident one month earlier and he took my dear friend who was living right, who was living for the Lord, and he took my friend. Changed me. It, it so impacted me that to this day, if my phone rings late at night, it scares me to death. I'm expecting something bad to be on the other end. I, I, I hate it. It always, there's always something that jumps in my heart when I hear that phone ring. Well, if you'll look in Job chapter 14, I, 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 I just use that to set up this message. In Job chapter 14, verse 1, probably one of the most quoted verses that, that Job had said, and I, I wanted to read this verse to you. He, he says later on, he says, A man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. A man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. It's, life goes by quickly, and it seems like life is filled with trouble. And when you read that, that is coming from a man who, who sounds like he is speaking from experience. He's not joyful. He's not saying, man, life is wonderful. It's a few days, but it is wonderful. He's speaking from a broken heart. And as we just begin, you go back to chapter 1, we just read the first five verses, you have to think, why would Job say those words? Because the Bible says he's the greatest man of the East. And we talked about he has he has ten children, he has a wife, he has all of these, um, all of these uh, uh, livestock, all of these animals that he has, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, uh, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses. He has a very great household. He has a lot of servants, a lot of people who work for him and take care of all of those things. He is a great man, and he's a spiritual man. He is very concerned about his children because when his children are not with him, he's praying for them. He's making burnt offerings for them because he doesn't know what they're doing when they're not around. And so he's a very spiritual man. He's a God-fearing man. And so it seems like he has everything that you could possibly think of. But one day, he gets a message. And can I make this 21st century? Can I do that? I know this didn't happen with Job. I know the Bible says that a messenger came to him. But one day, he's sitting at home, and he hears this. That's an old telephone ring, if y'all didn't know that. Y'all remember that telephone ring? Here's the phone ring. Look there in verse number 13. He picks it up. There was a day when the sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and a messenger comes to him. We, you, you teenagers may think in terms of text messaging, or I don't know about that because you don't ever answer text messages. But in, in terms of whatever it is, you, you get that come through your phone. And there came a messenger and a job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them. The Sabians were not the Alabama Crimson Tide. Can I just say that? They're a different group of people. The Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am, a, uh, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. That's not a phone call you want to get. That's not a message you want to receive. 
All of, your, all of the oxen, they were in the field. They were, the servants were using them. They were plowing. The asses were over there feeding. And suddenly this group of people, the Sabians, came down and they took all of your oxen and all of your asses. He took them all and they killed all of your servants. Imagine getting that phone call and somebody that this is going to hit home with you a little bit. But you get a phone call and somebody who works for you has lost their life. And then take that a little bit further. Everyone who works in that division has lost their life. That's not a phone call you want to get. That's not a message you want to receive. And that will ruin anyone's day. And it'll, ruin, it'll, it'll affect you in a great way. But it doesn't stop there because it... In verse number 16, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Fire came, destroyed all of the sheep that you had. 7,000 sheep, they're all gone. The servants who took care of them, it consumed them. But it doesn't stop there. While he was yet speaking in verse 17, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels. How many camels? He had 3,000 camels and have carried them away. They stole everything you had and yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, in verse number 18, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. Who wants that phone call? Some of you at some point in time in your life have had things stolen from you. That was not a good day. Some of you have lost a great deal of things, perhaps in a fire. That was not a good day. You lost some valuable possessions, something that was very important to you. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be 3,000 camels. It could be something much smaller than that. But when all of a sudden you lose that or a mechanic calls and says, man, that, that engine is done, it is not a good day. And suddenly you have a reason to talk to the Lord and send out prayer requests and pray with me about this. Some of you have lost children. And that's not a good day. It's a great wind. I don't know what if it's a straight line wind, a tornado. I don't know what it is, but that wind came through there and they're all in the house. They're all gathering together. They're all celebrating and having a good time. And suddenly that wind takes that house out and lost them all. That is not a good day. My point is that life hits us hard. I was telling the men this morning, there is not a day that my phone does not beep and somebody has had a hard time with something that day. They've gotten some kind of bad news. They've got some reason that they're calling their pastor and wanting him to pray. And sometimes it is multiple things. Somebody died today. Somebody is sick. Somebody just found out they got cancer. I just found out my car is broke. I just found out that there's things going on in my house. The appliances are messed up. There's, there's something going on. And it's different from everybody. It doesn't have to be a face on everybody. And I don't want, to, I don't want you to ever think that I want, don't want you to let me know those things. Because as your pastor, I want to pray for you and be there for you so don't ever think that that your situation is not worth letting the pastor know I don't want you to think that but I am telling you this everybody has something going on and life is difficult and it's challenging and it's hard and sometimes those phone calls sometimes those messages sometimes that news is very 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 hard to move forward with Suddenly, the great man of the east came crumbling down. He lost everything. His money is gone. His wealth is gone. 
His children are gone. Sometime later, if you look in Job chapter 2 and verse number 7, the Bible says that Satan touched Job and severely impacted his health. So when Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown, and he took him a pot's herd to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes, I can't imagine what that felt like. He touched his health. You know, if if you're blessed to live any amount of time, at some point your health's going to get touched. At some point, it's going to be you sitting in front of the doctor. It's going to be your spouse. Sadly, sometimes it's going to be your child. And you're going to be sitting in front of that doctor, and it's going to be you this time who's going to need to be lifted up in prayer. It's going to be you that is hurting. And all of a sudden, you go from a perfect health, and you, everything is all right, and you're able to do things, and you are broken down. I remember... My children were very, very young. We only, had, we only had Garrett and Will at the time. They were very young. And one day we were working at the church and we were doing a major project. It was a very, very hot day. We worked all day long and we came home. And I, was, uh, I, I, tried, I tried to do my best, but it was the first time in my life that I had been that dehydrated. I was severely dehydrated and I started having severe cramps. And my wife was doing everything she could to take care of me. She even called my dad, and my dad drove up and it was because I was in so much pain. And I remember we were trying to treat them. We were doing everything we could. And there was a time where I, I got up to move to a chair. I got up, and all the, all the blood just changed in my body. And my wife told me that I turned gray. It scared her. It scared my father. I don't know if I've ever told her this, but at that moment, everything started to black out. I started to see flashes of light. And I remember at that moment crying out, God, you got to help me. I wasn't quiet about it. I didn't say it like that. I just said, God, help me. And at that moment, I, there's no, there's no, I vomited. There's no good way of saying that. My wife grabbed the phone. She called 911. They got me to a chair. They sat me down. The, the first medic got there. My blood pressure was sky high. They called the ambulance, said he's got to get to the hospital. They carried me to the hospital. I was, I was there for a time frame. They began immediately to put fluids into me. Lots of them very quickly. And I've never been the same since that day. I can't take the heat. I've never been the same. It affected me. That's, not, that's nothing compared to what a number of you have, discovered, have gone through. It was that night, you remember I told you that, that one preacher came and visited me. And he, he, said, uh, he said, are you doing something wrong in your life? And I said, I would like to get out of this bed and do something wrong in my life. It was that night that that happened. Oh, I was so mad at that. Y'all pray for me because I ain't forgiven for that yet. <laughs> Suddenly it's you. You're not the pastor visiting the sick. Suddenly you're the one that's being visited. And it'll happen to every one of us. And some of you, I, I think, I, Mike, I think of you. I was praying right beside you just a while ago and I was thinking... You know, uh, as far as we know, Mike's tumor is benign, but that tumor is bigger than we thought last Sunday night. And others are going to get that phone call. Mary, I learned Mary Wilbanks passed away. Some of you know Miss Mary Wilbanks. She's been a shut-in for a number of years, but she passed away yesterday. I'll give you more information about that later when I, when I learn of it. It'll impact you, and it'll change you, and it'll, it'll affect you. And all of a sudden, listen, you go from being high and right and serving the Lord and helping everybody you can and ministering to them and loving them and serving them, and all of a sudden you are down to a place and you don't like being there, but now people are having to come to you. 
And they're having to pray for you, and they're having to minister to you, and they're bringing you food, and they're trying to do everything they can to lift up your spirits because it affects all of us. You notice in verse number 9, look at what, uh, in her grief, look at what Job's wife said. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? She says, Curse God and die. How can you still have this attitude? And don't we, we like to give her a hard time, but if you just lost your kids and you just went through that, how are you going to react? Why? Why did God allow this? Why did God do this to us? We were living for the Lord, and now, now it's us. We've helped people. We've ministered to people. We have been there for them. We have tried, we've feared the Lord and lived for Him and honor Him and try to do all these things. Why us? Why does it happen to us? How do you live and how do you continue to think that God still loves you and you live in your integrity? Just lose it for a little bit. Let it go. Curse God. Die. See his response in verse 10. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. It's remarkable. You get to chapter 3. We won't read the chapter. Job doesn't curse God, but he does curse the day he was born. Have you ever said this? I wish I was never born. If I was never born, I'd never have to deal with this. I'd never have to face it. How many of you watched this A Wonderful Life over Christmas? What did he say? I wish I was never born. You don't wish that. But he cursed the day of his birth. His friends had gathered around him at the end of chapter number 2, three of his friends. They saw that he was very, he was grieving. They couldn't say anything. They sat with him for an entire week and didn't say a word. It says at the end of chapter 2, at the end of verse 13, for they saw that his grief was very great. They heard him cursing the day of his birth. And then you get here to chapter number 3. And Eliphaz has something to say. He says, or chapter number 4, I'm sorry. Then, then Eliaphaz the Temanite answered and said, If we essay to commune with thee, wilt thou be grieved? But who can withhold himself from speaking? It's got to the point that he has got to say something. He has listened to his cursing the day he was born. He's listened to what he had to say. And he says, I've got I to say something. And in verse 3, Watch what he says. Behold, thou hast instructed many. Thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Thy words have upholden him that was falling, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. You have always been there for people. You have told them how to deal with their troubles and their struggles. He says, but verse 5, but now it's come upon thee. And thou faintest. It toucheth thee. And thou art troubled. It's true. It knocks you down. It hits you harder. How many of you realize, uh, and I have to say this because if you're above 50 years old, when you were 30 and you heard people complain about being 50, you thought, that's just silly. But now you get above 50 and you think, man, I used to give these people a hard time. And I realize now it's a lot different than I thought it was. It does hurt. It does hurt when you get up out of the bed. Right? We think that. When it actually is now your turn, yeah, it makes you weak in the knees. It knocks you down. It hurts you. It impacts you. It affects you. And he, he says, is not this thy fear, in verse 6, thy confidence, thy hope, and the uprightness of thy ways? Remember, I pray thee, whoever perish being innocent. Man, that is, that's where you want to punch him. He says, remember, I pray thee, whoever Whoever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. He's saying it's your fault. You've done something wrong that God would punish you for this. He didn't do anything wrong. 
but sometimes it's what people think. You know, about, about a month later, Christy's uncle passed away. Passed away with a heart attack, 39 years old. He had passed away. We're at the funeral. And this woman came up to me, and she says, have you learned your lesson? And I said, what lesson? What were you talking about? She says, I heard about what happened to you, and you ended up in the hospital. She says, did you learn what God was trying to teach you? Sometimes you're not doing anything wrong. Let's get this clear. Everyone is impacted by the curse of sin. Everyone is. And let's, let's be real. Some of us are impacted by the result of our bad decisions. That does happen. Sometimes it ain't God's fault. And God didn't allow it. You made it happen by your decisions that you made. God even convicted you not to do it, but you chose to do it anyways. Cain's, Cain's a good example of that. So sometimes, but sometimes, you're not going through it because you did anything wrong. God just allowed it to happen. And you will ask the question, well, why would God allow that to happen? And I'll just be honest with you and say, I don't know. I can't answer that. I would like to have the answers to that. And I could go through the Bible and look at examples and I could say, well, maybe it's this. And maybe it's this. And, you know, this happened here and this is what God did when he brought him. And we could look at that. And those are possibilities. But none of us, none of us are God. And I can't say this is what you're facing. This is why you're facing it. I can't say that. But I can tell you this. Jesus did say in this world you'll have tribulation. We're all going to face it sometimes. And it's going to look different from everybody, but it's going to impact everybody. And we're, we're affected by how it impacts us. And it may not be as big as somebody else. My little thing with the heat wasn't going to kill me. After I got through that one phase, it wasn't going to kill me. I was going to be all right. It's not compared to somebody that's got... Stage four cancer. It's not in comparison to that. But I know at that moment I had two little kids in there that Christy wouldn't allow to come back and see me because their daddy was so messed up. And they didn't know what was going on, but don't think I didn't think about those kids. Everybody goes through it. And we don't know why, and nobody can, no man can sit there and say that, why this is happening, and you need to learn a lesson. I'm not God, you're not God, and I don't have the answers, and you don't have all the answers. But there's something I can tell you for certain, and you'll find that in Acts chapter 7. You remember when Joseph, the son of Jacob, was a young boy? Do you remember him having those dreams? That one particular dream. Everyone, including the sun and the moon, was to bow down to him. You remember that? And he told that dream to his father, and his father was like, eh. And his brethren, man, they couldn't stand him for his dreams. I'm going to be somebody. One day I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to be respectable. Every one of you. All your brothers are going to work for me. We keep telling them, there's one brother, there's one, one of our kids that we keep saying, Christy and I keep saying, y'all respect him because one day you're going to work for him. I won't say who that is. I'm going to be respectable. Mom and dad. And he has these dreams. He's a young man. He's a teenager. He can't wait to live life. And he's loved by his father. And he wears that coat of many colors. And his brothers look at that and they hate that coat. He has this very special mama. His father loved his mama. 
And they're jealous of that. And you get to Acts chapter 7 and Stephen here, he's preaching, he's, he's speaking to, to, to some individuals. And it says in verse 9, and the patriarchs moved with envy. It is amazing what envy can do. And it says that they sold Joseph into Egypt. They sold him. Why? Because they didn't like him. Sometimes family can hurt us. Sometimes, sometimes we look at one family and they're all so loving and they're always together and they're, they're always doing stuff together. And some people can become very jealous of that because their family is nothing like that. Some people, they have huge Christmases and they gather together and they, they go to this family and this family and do all these things and everybody's giving gifts and all that stuff. And some people, their family don't do that. They never have done that. Christmas isn't, to them, Christmas is a little bit more difficult. Families can hurt us. They can betray us. They can have nothing to do with us. They can abuse us, forsake us. That's what happened to Joseph. Why? Why? Because, because he, had a, he had a dream they didn't like. He wanted to do something with his life that they weren't on board with. And when they saw him coming, you remember, they wanted, there were some who wanted to actually kill him. Judah stepped in and wouldn't let him do it. Judah and Reuben. Wouldn't let him do it. They ended up selling him. And he goes into Egypt. And there he is. He's, he's serving in Potiphar's house. You remember when he was in Potiphar's house? He was so trusted and Potiphar could see that this young man is special. And he, would, he gave him liberty to do everything, lead his house. And you remember Potiphar's wife, she had an opportunity. She looked at that young man, thought he was good looking and handsome. And she wanted to have a very bad relationship with him. And, and Joseph knew that that was wrong. And he ran out of that place and she grabbed his coat. And to cover herself, she says, man, he came in here and he tried to hurt me and harm me and do some things to me. And this is his coat. This is the evidence that he was there. And Potiphar is upset about that. And he ends up in jail. And he's in jail. And there he's spending that time there. And he spends a number of years. And the jailer recognizes that this young man's got something special about him. And, and he's here for because he's, he's done something wrong. And he's punished. And he's, but he has liberty to do things in the jail. He's a trustee. He's given these opportunities. But he's there for a long time. And then this butler and a baker come in there. And he interprets their dream. And he says, remember me when you leave here. And two years later, they didn't remember him. And two years ain't long when you read about it, but two years is a long time when you live it, especially in jail. And there has to be a time. There, if it was me, I'd be upset, I'd be bickering, I'd be mouthing, I'd be all tore up. God, why? Why? All I wanted to do was be respectable. I just wanted to live out the vision, the dream that you have given me. Why am I going, why did my family hurt me this way? Why did, they, why did I get wrongly accused? And everybody thinks that I tried to do something wrong to Potiphar's wife. I didn't do anything wrong. But in the court of public opinion, I did something wrong. And now I'm spending all of these years in this jail cell. Why? And what does it say in verse 9? What does it say? Circle those words. But what? God was with him. I want you to circle, that's the title of the message. Circle those words. His family left him, forsook him. And the whole time, the whole time he's suffering and hurting. God was with him. And the end of the story, you get to verse number nine, 10. And it says that Joseph was delivered out of his afflictions. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. And there's the rest of it in verses 11 down to verse, uh, verse 17, 16. 
You remember he got to the end in Genesis chapter 15. He told his brothers, he says, you meant this bad to me, but God meant it to good. Remember that? Thankfully, one day, if we're, if we're lucky, we get to Genesis chapter 50 and we look back and say, that's why I went through this. But nobody knows and nobody can tell you why when you're going through it. In the previous part of the chapter, I'm going to speed it up here. Abraham was in the land of the Chaldees, lived in Ur. His father died. Nobody likes today when your father dies. The patriarch has passed away. Now it's him. And this is God appears to him and God says to do this. God says, I want you to leave your, I want you to leave your hometown. I want you to leave your kindred. I want you to leave your country. I've got something that I want you to go. And you can't get on the internet and search it and see what the home values are and the job opportunities. You can't do all of that stuff. You just got to follow me. And he and Sarah, they pack up their belongings and they go to a land that they had not been to. It was a land that was promised them. They don't know what the results are going to be. They don't know what it's going to look like. It's a new opportunity and they're living by faith. And there is Sarah with him, the woman that he loves. And you know what? They have never been able to have a child. They have tried and tried and tried and tried and have never been able to have a child. And, and they, they look at this family and this family's got all these little kids running around and and some of those families ain't even taking care of those kids. Why? Why? It's not fair. Why do they get to have all those kids and they just let them run around? They're dirty. They're filthy. They're not, they're, they're, their diapers are dirty. They got all them kids and we, we're, trying, we're living for God. We're walking by faith. We're living for the Lord. And we're trying and we want nothing more than to have a baby and can't have a baby. Why? And the Lord told him, he says, look, I want you to look up there at the stars, and there's no light pollution, there's nothing, it's just stars. He says, you see all those stars? He says, that's the generations that follow you. Well, how can this be? We don't have a child. I just want you to believe me. I'm going to bless you. And it's like 25 years later before that happens. And you remember, he, he got so impatient, he took it in his own hands. Got another woman pregnant by the name of Hagar with his wife's blessing. Out of the will of God to have Ishmael. There becomes a problem there between the two. And he comes to the Lord in Genesis chapter 15. He says, I want you to bless Ishmael. And the Lord says, no, I'm not blessing your way. I'm only blessing my way. You can't do it your way and expect it to be the way I meant it. I told you what I was going to do and you got to trust me. Well, how can it be? We can't, Sarah can't have a child. She's too old. She's past childbearing. You just got to trust me. And one day they heard that baby cry. They named him Isaac. You know what it says in Genesis chapter 15? It says that Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness. He just believed God. In the midst of his heartache and his unknown and he can't have what he wants the most and what his wife wants the most and she's barren and in all these troubles, the Bible just says that he believed the Lord and the Lord remembered that. You remember even when he had Isaac, his promised son, and then you get over in the, about Genesis chapter 22 and the Lord comes to Abraham, he says, I want you to offer up your son Isaac. Abraham didn't blink an eye, he did it. He put that son on that, on that altar and he had the wood there and he brought back that knife to slay his son and as he brought it back, the angel of the Lord says, nope, hold on. And Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham had such faith that he just believed that God could raise his son from the dead. And it's a figure of what was to come in the Lord Jesus Christ. He believed. You know what Joseph did throughout all of his trials when he was sold into Egypt, when he was in Potiphar's house, when he was in prison? You know what he did the entire time? He never lost his faith in God. And he stayed faithful the entire time. And God honored him. I cannot tell you why you go through the things you go through. 
I can't tell you that when that phone rings, it's not going to break you down. And it's not going to shake your knees. I can look throughout this auditorium and there is story after story after story. We could all sit here and, and we could play a sad song. And we could bring one another down because this is, this is what I'm going through and this is what I'm faced with. And this is what I'm dealing with and we could do that. Or we can just continue to believe God and believe God's still with us. But God was with him. Now I want to close with this ironic thing that I find in Acts chapter 7. Stephen is the one speaking here. And the reason he is speaking is because he has been lied about and accused in Acts chapter 6. He's not there and he's not preaching to a crowd of a, like a Somerville Baptist church where people have gathered together to hear the word of God preached. That's not what he's there for. He is there because people don't like Jesus. And they don't like him. And they don't like his testimony. They don't like his faith. And right now they're accusing him. And they look at him and this guy has such a countenance of peace. It says that when they look at him they see the face of an angel. He is being wrongly accused. He's being lied about. And yet he has such peace. And they, they, they just realize we can't, we're going to have to lie about him. That's exactly what they did about Jesus. They're just going to have to make up something. That's exactly what they did about Paul. We're just going to have to make up something. And they just start lying about him. And the high priest asks, are these things so? What they're saying, are they so? And he just begins all the way back at Abraham and he just starts preaching the word. And it, he's the one that's talking about the account of, of Abraham and Joseph. He even gets into Moses. And you'll have to read about Moses because I don't have time to get into that. And you get into Moses and he gets down to the end of his message in chapter 7. And I want you to begin reading with me in verse 51. Man, I love his boldness. And he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hard in ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers, speaking of Jesus Christ, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. And when they heard these things in verse 54, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Ghost, can I say... That's a different way of God saying, but God was with him. The Holy Spirit is there. He has filled him. He is with him. The presence of God is upon his life, even in the midst of the storm that, he is, that is raging around him. And it says that he, that he looked up steadfastly into heaven and he saw the glory of God. And he sees Jesus. That's the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All in verse 55. And he sees Jesus standing on the right hand of God in verse 56 and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears like a bunch of children having a temper tantrum. And they ran upon him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul, who we know gets saved in chapter 9 and becomes the Apostle Paul. And it says in verse 59, they stoned Stephen, calling upon God. Can you believe that? In the name of God, they're killing this believer. I'm sorry, Stephen is calling upon God. And he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, how did he do that? He just stayed faithful. He just believed God. Now here's the irony of it. When he talked about Joseph, God was with him and delivered him out of all of his afflictions. But when it come to himself, God delivered him, but not in the way that you and I would want him to be delivered. Say amen right there. 
Sometimes you don't make it through the cancer. Sometimes our children don't make it. I cannot sit here and promise you that if you'll just stay faithful, that everything is going to turn out exactly like you prayed for. I can't do it because I'm not God. But aren't you glad that one day when we do take our last breath and one day when it's all over, it's not really over because we see the glory of God and we see Jesus face to face. So what can we do? Here's, I'm closing with this right here. Here's what too many people do. You quit on God. You get mad and you quit. Or you don't quit on God, but you disappear. You disappear and you don't want to face anybody. You don't want to, you don't want to show up. You just, want to, you just want to deal with it yourself. And I'm going to tell you something. There are some things that we have to deal with ourselves, and there are some things that we just cannot deal with ourselves. There are some things that we got to come around together and say, hey, let's circle around, let's pray about this. Hey, listen, i got to tell you, I remember, I remember when you were going, I'm, I'm just looking at you. I remember when you were going through this. You remember that? And you were going through this, and I was there with you, and I tried to comfort you and encourage you, and I told you everything that I thought was the right thing to say, and right now I'm going to tell you something. I'm weak in the knees. I'm hurting and I know the right answer, but right now I can't live it. And I need, I need you. I need you right now. I need to see your face right now. I have learned this, and this is, this is speaking from an introvert right here. When it becomes too hard, you just want to go away and hide. And it has never gotten better. Because I'm left with all of the thoughts. I'm left with all of the what ifs. And I can't stop thinking about it. And I can't think of the good scenarios. I'm thinking of all the bad scenarios. And I just go worse and worse and deeper and deeper. And I have found that but just when I show up. And you might not even know what I'm going through. Just your presence there. Eliphaz was a better help to Job when he was just sitting there shutting up. Just your presence helps. I'm not in this all by myself. None of us are in this all by ourselves. The burdens that you carry, the aches in your heart, you're not carrying them by yourself. You're not alone. We are all dealing with something. Your refrigerator breaks. It's at the worst time. Your kids get sick. It's never a good time. The car's messed up. Your parents are getting a divorce. It's never a good time. What can we do? Just remember, God's still with us. In this world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Now, in closing, I have to say this. For Stephen, it wasn't the end because he went to be with Jesus. And for many of us who have lost loved ones, it's not the end because they're waiting with us. They're waiting for us with Jesus. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is nothing to look forward to. And you're going through this life and you, it is hard, it is hard, it is hard because you have nobody but yourself. God's not with you. 
You have to put your faith and your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first and foremost thing, you've got to receive his son. You can't go to God the Father and reject the son. He is the only way to the Father. And you've got to go through Jesus Christ. And some people are trying to do everything on their own. Every guy in the whole house, can I just, I'm just picking you. David and Jesse, you've graduated. You got to the whole house because you did everything your own way and you got to the end and said, I can't do it no more. Can you say amen? Stephen, you've been there. Stick, you've been there. All of us have been there. I just can't do it no more. And you find the hope in a relationship with God that is found through Jesus Christ. So stop doing it yourself. And stop trying to turn over a new leaf and write a new chapter and try to get there on your own way and your own thinking. It's only through Christ. And I'm offering him to everybody today that don't know him. And I'm encouraging you today to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. And don't reject him. And every person that's carrying a burden, what does he say? Come unto me. All ye that labor and are weary, and I'll give you rest. You see, there's nothing in our life that's not too big for God. And all he wants us is to come to him. Because he's still there. He's still there. And the hurts and the things that, that mess with your faith and discourage us, and hurt us. And I'm going to tell you something. Just because I tell you that, just because you know God's with you, don't make it easy. I'm not telling you it's easy. Oh, it's just as simple as this. It's not easy. It takes a daily thing. God, I'm hurting right now. I'm struggling with this. And I know that you're with me, and I don't know what's going on, and I don't know why, but I do believe that you're God. And today... I'm riding with you, and I'm just trusting you. Can we do that? Let's bow our heads.